Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Thank you for being here this morning. Does anybody else find it extremely convenient and actually quite humorous that we can blame anything on Russia today? Does anybody else feel that way? Like we've become a nation where we blame everything on Russia. It was the Russians that rigged the election. It was the Russians who have hacked our emails. Even my own kids are getting on this Russia bandwagon, right? They're blaming some of their things that they should have accomplished around the house on Russia. (laughs) Cooper, why is your room dirty? Well, it was the Russians, Dad. You don't understand. It was the Russians. Uh, Demi, why are the dishes not put away in the dishwasher? Dad, it was the Russians. I don't know what it was, but it was the Russians that have uh, infiltrated our house. You know what? As I've thought about this, I think we've come up with a plan on how we can deal with this this thing with the Russians. We need to just go old school, biblical style and, and, and work with the Russians that way. What did, what did we do? What did they do in the biblical times? Well, the, the nations who were in conflict with each other that had a situation between two nations, they would send out one champion from one nation and a champion from the other nation and the two champions would go toe to toe. They would battle each other. Think about David and Goliath, right? That's how that battle took place. So I think we should do it with Russia. It worked for us in 1985. I think it'll work for us again today. Some of you are looking at 1985. What, what do you mean 1985? Well, remember Rocky Balboa and Rocky IV? Rocky Balboa was United States' best champion versus Ivan Drago of Russia. And they hosted this battle over in Russia. I can still see the coolest training, training uh, scene of all movies for all times when Rocky Balboa is training in that barn in the middle of this farm in Russia. And of course the battle is, is epic, right? And I still remember to this day where Rocky was getting just clobbered by this Russian and he goes to his corner and he, and he shouts to his trainer, he's not human, he's a piece of of iron. Do you remember that? And then later in the movie, finally Rocky starts getting some blows in on Ivan, and and you can still see it. Uh, uh, you can still hear Duke, his trainer, say, "He he's human. He's human. He bleeds." Right? It's it's one of the best scenes of all movies of all times. Now I think you and I would agree today that what would make the story of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus a little bit easier for us to process would be that if Jesus was some sort of machine, of a a machine and not a man. Then the beatings that he received prior to the crucifixion wouldn't be so bad. The crown of thorns that they placed on his head that penetrated the skin that caused him to bleed, that wouldn't be so bad. Graphic. If if Jesus was a machine, when they na- machine when he nailed those nails went into his hands and into his feet, it wouldn't be so bad. With his raw back laid across that splintered cross, that splintered wooden cross, it wouldn't be so bad if Jesus was some sort of a machine. The whole thing wouldn't be that graphic. But he wasn't. He was a man. He was a man like you and I. He was fully human. And today's statement, famous last words from the cross, remind us, of, remind us of that more than any of the other six statements. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 19. And we're going to look at uh, another famous last word 
from Jesus on the cross. This is a great time to open up your Bible app if you have it. And and go ahead and and find the notes there. Maybe get the notes out of your bulletin because there's going to be some powerful things that I think you want to capture a hold of today. Last week, Pastor Christian delivered an amazing message on, on the offer of forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus looked down at the people around the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Today, we're going to talk about the human, the, the, the reality of human weakness. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the importance of spiritual family. So you don't want to miss next week. It's going to be really powerful. April 2nd, we're going to talk about the necessity of, of punishment. April 9th is going to be Palm Sunday. It's going to be a very special Sunday. We're going to talk about the gift of eternal life. And after services, we're going to be having baptisms. And then finally, this entire series, Famous Last Words, will culminate on Easter weekend when we're going to talk about starting at the finish line. But today, we take a look at John chapter 19, and we're reminded again that Jesus was a man and not a machine. So let's read it together. John chapter 19, verse 16, and we're going to start midway through the verse because there's a little bit of a break in our text. It says this, So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate and said, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened so that the scriptures might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Now, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, his disciples, this disciple took her into his arm. Now, verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said this. He said, I am thirsty. Will you turn to someone next to you and say, I am thirsty? Will you do that? Just say it. I am thirsty. That's right. You know, when we look at the seven statements of Jesus on the cross, I think you and I would both agree that this is probably the statement that you and I would have said if we were in Jesus' place. I am thirsty. Because thirst is such a a natural response to pain and exhaustion that if we just skimmed over this passage, I think we would miss the important spiritual truth that is behind these three simple words, I am thirsty. The reality of Jesus' human weakness reminds us today one of two, or of two very important spiritual aspects about the ministry of Jesus that I don't want you to miss today. So what does the reality of human weakness teach us about the incredible ministry of Jesus? Well, the first one is this, is that suffering understands 
suffering. Suffering understands suffering. Can I ask you a question today, this morning? Are you suffering today? In a room this size, there has to be someone suffering today. It's just, it's just a part of life. Perhaps you're suffering physically today. Perhaps there is a doctor's appointment that you just are in absolute fear of and you're afraid of what the doctor might say. You are suffering physically. Are you suffering emotionally in a room this size, there's certainly somebody in this room that is suffering emotionally. You can't see it on the outside, but on the inside, they're a wreck. They're a mess. They're suffering emotionally. Do you know there are people right now that are watching us online right now that are suffering either from a broken heart or a broken body, and it's so difficult for them to be here today. They are suffering there are people today that are suffering in their marriage. There are people today that are suffering in their, in, in their relationships. There are people that are suffering with their job. There are people that are suffering today in school. And, and for many of us, and maybe for you, you would say this, Brandon, man, it has been a tough week. It, it's been a tough month. Some of you might say, man, 2017 has been a very tough year. You know, in my observation over 13 years of ministry and talking with people going through difficult times in life, you know what I've determined are common denominators in all of those situations? It is this. People just want somebody to know about their struggles. They want people to know about their sufferings, and they want people to understand. Maybe not necessarily fix it, but they want you to know about it, and they want you to, they want you to understand it. So if you're suffering today... Jesus' statement on the cross, I am thirsty, means something for you. If you know of somebody that is suffering right now, Jesus' statement, I am thirsty, means something for them. I give you full permission to pull out that phone and send them a text or call them up on the phone and say, listen, you need to call in or you need to watch right now online because this message is for them. Why? Because the fact that Jesus suffered on the cross means that he understands the suffering of your life. It means that he understands the sufferings that you are going through right now. That's why the Bible presents Jesus as fully human. He, he was born like we were. He grew up physically like we did. He experienced the same growing pains that we went through. He got hungry like many of you are right now. Many of you are going, I'm hungry too right now. I, I'm hungry myself. He got tired like we do. He took naps. We read in, in scripture where Jesus took naps. So if you take a nap on Sunday afternoons, don't feel guilty. It's spiritual. It's biblical. Don't feel guilty. Just don't do it right now, please. Don't do it right now. He cried like we do. His spirit got overwhelmed like ours does from time to time. He had a normal job like you and I do. Jesus was a carpenter up to the age of 30. So he had a Monday morning job he had to get to as well. 
Have you ever met somebody for the first time and as you begin to talk with them and you talk about their background and where you lived and where you were from, you begin to recognize that you have some commonalities between them? Uh, I'm fairly new to JCI and so I'm meeting lots of new people all the time and and I've had several encounters where we had a common background with people uh, from another time and another place. Um, One of my favorite things to do is is be here on on Wednesday nights with our student ministry and by the way, our student ministry is doing an unbelievable job underneath Pastor Kyle's leadership. Um, just doing an awesome job. We have some of the best student leaders ever. I mean, these are some amazing, dedicated people. Uh, my own kids absolutely love their small group leaders. But I got to talking with one of our small group leaders. His name's Chad. And the more we talked about our backgrounds and where we were from, we, we began to realize we lived in the same area in Wyoming of all places, right? Of, of all places, we lived in that. We knew some of the same people. It was like this small world moment. Have you ever had that moment? The best part about Chad that I'm like, man, we are tight now, is this, is that he's even more of a Bronco fan than I am. So, man, we're like, oh, there's a hand clap. All right. right. We're like tight now. Like Chad and I are like, man, two peas in a pot. Here's the deal, friends. Jesus is that person in our life. He understands us. He gets it. He understands And so Jesus is a person who knows you and understands you, but it's more than that. The Bible just doesn't present Jesus as human. The Bible insists that Jesus was human. Don't miss this. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible insists that Jesus was human. Take a look at what the author says of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2. He says this, For this reason, he had to be made like them, Fully human in every way. I hope you underline that, highlight that, because that is so powerful. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted." The writer of Hebrews insisted that we know that Jesus was fully human. And today's phrase, I am thirsty, reminds us that Jesus understands every I am statement that you and I will ever make in our entire life. And you're saying, well, what are you talking about I am statement? Well, here are just a few. Maybe your I am statement is I am tired right now. I am discouraged right now. I am hurting financially right now. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my teenagers. In fact, just for a moment right now in the margin of your notes, write down what is your I am statement. What is the thought that is overwhelming you? In fact, you're so distracted with your I am statement, you're not even hearing me right now. What is your I am statement that you are struggling with? Is it I'm struggling in life's calling? And purpose. I am, I'm struggling in school. Write down your I am statement because here's the reality. Jesus gets it. He understands it. He can empathize with your I am. Look at what the Bible says just a few chapters later in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize in our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
And in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, hurting people want to know that someone else cares. And Jesus is that person. He cares deeply. If Jesus were to sit in a room with you today and you were sitting right next to him and you began to share some of your deepest hurts and your deepest struggles, you know what Jesus would say to you? He would say, I understand. I get it. He'd say, I feel you. Jesus' statement, I am thirsty, means that we can bring anything to him at any time and he will help us. So suffering understands suffering. What's the second thing we can learn from this powerful phrase? It's this. Perfection replaces imperfection. Perfection replaces imperfection. In January, we as a church started a Bible reading plan. And many of us, hundreds of us, are reading through the Bible and trying to get through it in one, one year. And if you've been reading through that, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will have just met one of the most spiritually imperfect generations that have ever lived. It's the nation of Israel. I mean, throughout their, the entire narrative that we read in the first five books of the Bible, we constantly hear of them complaining and groaning and moaning and asking, Asking God for help and deliverance. And, and so it's one of the most imperfect spiritual generations that we've ever, we can ever read about. And one of the greatest spiritual complaints of the entire Old Testament is this. I am thirsty. You're going to see, see it throughout the entire Old Testament. And it makes complete sense for a people who lived in the desert area where water was life and lack of water meant certain death. If you read about the story of Abraham and his son, you'll discover as you, as you read about their travels, the first thing they would do when they come to a new territory was what? They would dig wells. Why? Because water meant life. The Israelites, as they left Egypt and they traveled through the wilderness, they were constantly complaining that they were thirsty. Why? Because water meant life. Samson killed an entire army of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And after he completed that task, he sat down and he cried out to God, God, I'm thirsty. Please give me something to drink. King David was so thirsty at one point in his, in, in his leadership that he sent three of his best, best men across enemy lines so that he could just get a glass of water. Why? Because water meant life. And of course, the prophet Elijah during the, uh, the, the, the time of an intense famine in the, land, in the land, cried out to God because he thought God had abandoned him. And he said, God, please give me something to eat. Give me something to drink. I am thirsty. Why? Because water meant life. And you see, this is one of the imperfect parts of traveling throughout Israel and around the promised land for early Israel. But God delivered and provided for them. Last year, I had the opportunity to go to Israel. It was a great, great trip. But our tour guide constantly reminded us, you need to take a bottle of water with you everywhere you go because it's so dry and arid. And there's a picture of how dry and arid it is by the Dead Sea. And, and, and so even by floating in the, in the Dead Sea and getting out of the Dead Sea and you walk up and right outside of the Dead Sea is a, is a snack shop that's selling you water, that's giving you some Coke and some Pepsi, because it is so dry there. So I get it. And so while one of the greatest complaints in the Old Testament was about thirst, listen, 
One of the greatest spiritual promises of the New Testament was that Jesus was living water. Generations and generations had passed of people complaining about thirst, and then Jesus steps into the picture, and he has a new message. And we can hear about that message in John chapter 4, verse 10, where Jesus is having an encounter with a Samaritan woman at a water well of all places. And the, the Samaritan woman thought Jesus was talking about physical water, but Jesus was actually talking about something different. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you given you living water. There it is. Jesus is bringing a different type of water. Again, in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, Jesus is at this festival and it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival. So you're saying, Brandon, what, what's the festival? What, what is this festival Jesus was at? Well, it was a very important festival and it was a festival that Jews still practice and still celebrate today. It's called the Festival of the Tents. And in this festival, it's practiced for seven days. Will uh, A group of people will, uh, will live in tents for seven days to remind them of what it was like to travel throughout the, the, the wilderness until they entered the promised land. And the, and, the wilderness, or, and the celebration culminates with a significant event at the end where a, a person will carry a large jug of water through the tent and they would take this jug of water and they would pour it over the altar, symbolizing God's provision of water in the wilderness. God always provided for the needs. But Jesus brings a different type of water. He says in this same passage, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In Jesus's life, he promised that the imperfection of need would be met with the perfect supply of life. And we read about it in John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 is kind of our theme verse for JCI in 2017. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus has come so that I, that they may have life and have it to the full. And the statement, I am thirsty, reminds us of our theme for this year because it, it reminds us that Jesus came to us. He broke through the boundaries and the barriers of heaven and stepped into a human body to give us living water so that we can live fully alive. And Jesus desires that you live fully alive, not for just a moment, but for an entire lifetime. And so in his death, Jesus became the perfect life that would take away or take the place of our imperfect life. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, you and I now have the ability to live fully alive. The author Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. He says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You know, in this short passage, Paul reminds us of two very important things that I want you to take away today. What are those two things? The first thing is this, is that Jesus aced the test. He aced the test. Look at verse four again. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. The key words in that little verse is this, the righteous requirement. The word righteous means to be holy, to be perfect, to be blameless. And the requirement of the law was a perfect score. We were reminded of this last week in Pastor Christian's message. We learned last week that in order for us to pass the test of the law, you had to have a perfect score. It was, it was a pass or fail test. There were no letter grades passed out. So friends, if, if you and I have lied at any moment in our life, we've failed the test. If we've been disobedient to our parents at any moment of our life, We have failed the test. And just like there are consequences to failing a test when we were in school as kids, there are consequences to failing the spiritual test of the law. But here's the best news. Jesus, the Son of God, entered into humanity, and he took the same test, but he aced it. He he got a perfect score. He got all the extra credit. He met the righteous requirement of the law. On our behalf. And not only did he ace the test, watch this, he faced the punishment of a failed test. In verse 3 of Romans 8, we're reminded again for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I grew up in a, in a time where spanking was still pretty normal. Right? That's, I don't know about it today, but at least I, I, I remember it not very fondly. I received plenty of spankings in my lifetime. And <laughs> my parents even gave other parents permission to spank us. So that's how, that's how tough it was for me. So I grew up with two brothers. And so you can understand that we were always getting into trouble. And, and when my dad wasn't home and my mom caught us being disobedient, she would say these famous words, wait till you're... Yeah, you know it well. You've heard it before. Wait till your dad gets home. And that wait from the time we were disobedient to the time that our dad got home was punishment enough. Is anybody else with me on that? Because you knew what was coming. You knew what was coming. I was reminded of this uh, in, in, while I was coming up with this, this message and, and of, a, of a belt that hung on our closet door in our hallway that we were constantly reminded when we walked to our bedrooms of this belt that if you didn't keep, keep your life straight, if you, didn't, if you weren't obedient, there was always the belt. So during the wait, while you're waiting for your dad to get home, there's all sorts of thoughts that are going through your mind. Like, God, please, please let my dad have mercy on me this time. Don't let him spank me. God, let my dad spank my brother, Jeff. <laughs> Certainly he's done something worse than I have. God, please let him spank my brother, Nathan. He's, he's had to have done something. God, please, would you send someone, please, that would take my place. You know, the punishment of sin is incrementally, incrementally more devastating than a good spanking. 
I mean, how much more do we need someone else to take our place from our spiritual disobedience, especially when we understand the consequences? Again, Paul, in his brief exclamation, cuts right to this right to the heart of this matter. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, many of you know this, this verse. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. When we sin, what we've earned is the punishment of death. But then Paul puts this little word in here. It's so important. It's this little word. It's but. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord. You see, Jesus faced the punishment of our failed test. He aced the test. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus interrupted history. He stepped into flesh, just like you and I. And he experienced a death on the cross. Why? So that the death, that your death would not be eternal but that rather it be just a passing from one broken world to a spiritual world without any brokenness and without any sin. And we are reminded of this important spiritual truth by three simple words today. I am thirsty. I am thirsty. You know, one of my fondest memories growing up was the time my dad took me to a movie. It was a movie that had a lot of hype built up about it. It was the sequel to a movie uh, uh, that I probably shouldn't have watched as a kid, but I did anyways. And it was the Terminator movie. Has anybody ever seen the Terminator? Well, okay, just a few of us. (laughs) Terminator... Terminator 2, when it came out in 1991, had a whole lot of hype built up about it because there was a new bad guy. And if you've never seen any of the Terminator movies, I'm not encouraging you or discouraging you to see any of the Terminator movies. But if you've, if you've seen it, you'd understand the plot is about these robots that travel from the future back in time to destroy the world. That's the plot. That's, that's all there is. In Terminator 2, there's a new bad guy. And he's a, he's a really good bad guy. I mean, really bad, bad guy. I don't know how you'd say that. He's just really good. And there was a lot of hype built up about it because he was a humanoid cyborg that could transform and shape into any person he wanted to be, into shape, any shape he wanted to be. And, 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 and one of the scary things about the movie is he could make his finger become a sword. I think we have a picture of it there. And he would go around just killing people with his little finger. Come to think about it, it's a very disturbing movie and probably, <laughs> probably shouldn't recommend watching it. But I still remember to this day sitting in that theater seat and having to remind myself, this isn't real. This is only a movie. This isn't real. This is only movie. This isn't real. It is only a movie. And Jesus' statement today, I am thirsty, is that that reminder to us. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't a movie. He wasn't a righteous robot. He wasn't a humanoid cyborg. He was a human. He was a human just like you and I who died on the cross for you and I. Why? Because he didn't want you to suffer alone. If you're suffering today, you don't have to suffer alone because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. he sacrificed on the cross because he wants to replace your imperfections and their spiritual consequences with his perfection and his spiritual blessings. And because he was thirsty, 
We can have living water, and, and we can never, we don't have to spiritually thirst again. But friends, you have to say yes to Jesus. You have to say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus first. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Just a moment longer. Can I ask you a serious question? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you started or do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you still trying to take a test that you were never meant to pass in the first place? Jesus took that test. He, and he aced it. He faced the punishment of your failed test so that you can live fully alive. Are you living fully alive today because of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can I encourage you today, if you've not done that, to put your faith and trust in Jesus? I, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And, and you can do that today by saying yes to Jesus with a prayer of, confess, of a confession and a prayer of commitment. And I would love to lead you in that prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed.